brands have to be really clear about the use cases, understanding what it is they're trying to solve, which is if you're trying to solve a, a campaign problem, you know, really going back to first principles and understanding it, is it really the campaign tool that's the problem or is it the underlying data that feeds your campaign tool or your MarTech stack or your ad stack? Welcome to The Marketing Report, a podcast created for and by marketing professionals who seek to better understand their consumers and design unique, personalized experiences that stand out in today's market. In each episode, hosts from Verisk Marketing Solutions connect you to industry thought leaders, practitioners, and experts focused on improving B2C experiences through powerful data-driven insights. It's about how we connect with our consumers and where we can partner together to do it better. This is The Marketing Report. Hello and welcome to our new and we think improved podcast. My name is Zora Sinnott and I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at Verisk Marketing Solutions, a newly formed business unit of Verisk. With the merging of Jornaya, Infutor, and Context State, Verisk Marketing Solutions was created to help marketing leaders and the ecosystem partners who support them improve the reach, timing, relevance, and compliance of every consumer engagement. The end goal being to create exceptional experiences throughout the customer lifecycle. So our podcast has taken on a new identity, which means we can safely assume some of you might be new listeners. Uh, we're by no means new to the podcast scene. So be sure to check out some previous episodes uh, of both Jornaya Talks and Infutor's Identity Revolution, where we've had conversations with a variety of in industry leaders and experts in data, technology, consumer identity, and everything in between. So let's get started. I'm eager to welcome industry leader Barry Paget, CEO of Amparity. Barry, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with me today. Pleasure, Zora. Glad to uh, catch up. It's been a little while. Wonderful. So excited to have you here. And to give a little background for our listeners, Barry joins us with over 20 years of financial and operational experience. Prior to his work with Amparity, he spent nearly two decades at Concur Technologies uh, in various leadership roles across the globe in Asia, Europe, and the U.S. Following SAP's acquisition of Concur, he served as president of Ariba, Field Glass, and Concur, which were collectively known as the Intelligence Spend Group. He also served as the chief revenue officer at Stripe. Did I miss anything? <laughs> no, it made me sound really old uh, yeah. when you put it that way. It's quite the impressive rap sheet that you have, Barry. So you've had the opportunity to work with people all over the world, some really great companies, very uh, impressive talent. So before I start to pepper you with the questions that I've prepared for this podcast, why don't you just give the audience a couple of highlights? Tell us a little bit about how you got here today. Sure. Yeah, sure. You know, I think the looking back, the master stroke of luck and, and genius was I decided to go and work for a startup in Brussels, Belgium uh, after school. It was just three of us trying to build algorithms for banks, Swiss banks. And that was a, a total failure. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you, that one-year commitment turned into almost 20 years abroad, living and working in the Netherlands, Belgium, England, France, over to China, Singapore, Australia. Met my wife in Australia, who's a Kiwi from New Zealand. Our son was born in Australia. Our daughter was born in England. So, you know, we had a, a wonderful time crisscrossing the globe and 
really what it boils down to is this, Zora. When, when you are from all of these different countries, as our family is, you kind of look like the Jason Bourne family. All of your passports are different colors. And there's no benefit because you end up standing in the longest line of every airport in the world. So, you know, there's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I understand. So, okay, here, I'll ask you one more question. So, favorite city in the world? Uh, I would say favorite city in the world is the, is the city I live in right now, Seattle, Washington. And I've kind of always been that way. Whatever city I'm living in is, is the best one at the time. Um, oh, you chose it, right? Yeah, that's right. And I will say, like, there are different phases of your life where the available opportunities in a city kind of dictate whether, where it falls in that list. So when I lived in Amsterdam, I was, you know, a young man in, in my early 20s. Uh, and that's a, a wonderful place to live at that time. And my wife and our two kids recently visited Amsterdam again many years later. And I realized like it's, you know, it's all cobblestone. It's really hard to push a stroller around. You know, there's not that much green space available. And so it's not the best maybe place had I had young kids at the time, maybe I would have felt differently. So yeah, it's kind of how I feel about Chicago. <laughs> now the Chicago suburbs are, are my favorite place in the world with two toddlers. Okay, so let, let's dive into the questions here. Both of our firms specialize in identity or entity resolution. So how do we see brands going about solving this, this big messy problem of the unified customer profile? And why do you think so many companies have tried and failed at that endeavor? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of things, and I think you and I probably see the world the same way, Zora. I think the two approaches that, that we see out in the wild, one, a brand buys a CDP. Because if you think about CDP customer data platforms, seems like uh, you know, a no-brainer that you're going to get your customer data all cleaned up as part of that deployment. And I think in reality, what we see are when you look at the CDP category, you know, there's a concentration of companies and tools and, and platforms that skew really heavily to the marketing automation side of the house around activation and journey orchestration and campaign building and segmentation, but that ignore the fundamental and underlying problem of the data is super messy. And it's really hard to make, to make those tools work the way they're designed to work unless you go and clean up the data first. And so many CDP companies kind of punt on this really tough problem of, of cleaning up the messy data. I think the second scenario is that you see brands you know, trying to build this themselves, either you know, utilizing something that they, they already have in-house or using some of the modern tech stack to try and figure out how to build this. And I think, you know, cast your mind back 20 years ago, most companies tried to build their own CRM systems. Most companies tried to build their own billing systems. And fast forward to today, you know, it's suicide to try to build your own CRM tool or your own billing system or insert the blank. And so I think in either case, you know, brands have to be really clear about the use cases, understanding what it is they're trying to solve, which is if you're trying to solve a, a campaign problem, you know, really going back to first principles and understanding it, is it really the campaign tool that's the problem or is it the underlying data that feeds your campaign tool or your MarTech stack or your ad stack? And so I think in general, those are the two ways that we see brands out there trying to solve the problem. And I'm really excited because I think we're in the early innings of this transformation away from, you know, building your own CRM or building your own billing system to really taking something that's best in class, ultra modern, and not only solves the problem, but also takes care of some of the issue of, you know, feeding your existing tech stack, feeding your existing MarTech stack or your ad tech stack and making that uh, perform in a way that it hasn't before. So, you know, the answer doesn't necessarily have to be 
constantly go and try and digitally transform everything in your stack. Sometimes just cleaning up the data and feeding yeah. that stack better data yields incredible results. Yes, the fundamentals are important. So as brands climb this maturity curve and start to, to transform their businesses to more digitized digital experiences, what role does the unified customer profile play? What the, the AMP ID, if you will, uh, yeah. play in that digital transformation? Yeah, I think such a good question. And it's, this is one of those questions where it's like, even listening to myself say it in my head before I say it, the reaction is kind of like, duh. You know, and by that, I mean, you know, personalization has become table stakes. Like customers, we as, as consumers ourselves expect the brands that we work with and that we, you know, gift our money to as if they're a well-known entity. They, we expect that. And it harms our view of the brand when we're served up with experiences or cross promotions that don't make sense in the context of what a brand should know about us. Like, why are they serving us up ads for things we've already bought? Why isn't there suppression built into their tooling? Why don't they understand that I buy a certain category and that's the category I'm interested in rather potentially something randomly different? Like if I'm buying, in my case, you know, men's, you know, dress shirts, you know, why am I getting ads for, you know, women's sportswear? It's really obvious, you know, when, when it's email or ads being served up, it's clear that the brands don't know us, even though we've transacted with them for years and years, are part of their loyalty program, utilize every channel they have available. And so I think in some ways that's table stakes in terms of our expectations as a consumer, but most brands still have yet to achieve that. And so it's kind of like, duh, as a consumer, we expect that, but really difficult for the brands we love to actually get this fixed and get it cleaned. And I'd say lastly, like there are some there are some other benefits, like having the depth of insight into a customer means you know, making better and smarter decisions driven by data science. So you're getting more for your ad spend and more for your loyalty program spending. It means happier employees, like the people that serve the customer who desperately want to serve up great experiences and giving them the tooling and giving them the data to do that. And so it means that and less time on tedious Q&A and data cleansing. So I think unifying customer data as far-reaching impact. It's certainly economics, for sure, profound. But in terms of how we think about the overall experience and the journey towards centricity and our own employees and their ability to delight customers, there's really like never been a better time to get deep into the guts of finally unifying that customer profile. I love where you took that answer around employee experience. It's clear in parity, just in interacting with the team and the brand, it's very clear that there's an internal and an external experience that you're, you're working very hard to maintain. So kudos to you. And I think some of the trends are kind of leading in, the, in that direction as well. So there are many signals that MarTech spending is going up and to the right, despite you know, some uncertain economic indicators uh, that are surrounding us. So what are uh, the main problems that B2C brands are looking to solve with this increase in spend in platforms in, in yours, but also in, in others? Yeah, I think for me, it's probably three things. One, which is the, the sort of ever-present need to go find new customers and mm -hmm. cost of acquisition of new customers is going up, not down. And so you should expect that we're gonna spend more as marketers to go find new customers. I think secondly, you know, in reaction to the cost of acquisition going up, we're seeing, you know, more companies 
spend more programmatically to retain their existing customers. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sometimes, you know, less expensive to retain a customer uh, and upsell and, and expand that relationship than it is to go acquire a brand new one. And so you're seeing a lot of spend around making sure that our existing customers are happy, that they understand the full breadth of our services and the scope of our, of our product suite and are getting the most out of us as a brand. And then I think secondly, you're seeing a lot of spend and interest right now in reaction to the cookie going away, the mobile ad ID going away. You know, I don't think anybody has a crystal ball that exactly predicts what's going to happen uh, next year when that, when, that, uh, when that occurs. But there is a scramble happening within the world's brands to establish a first party data graph, right? Mm -hmm. Understand who their customers are. You can't rent your customer base anymore from a third party. You're going to have to know who your customers are. And then you're going to have to go target lookalikes to your activation channels based on the attributes and based on the customer personas that you that you now know since you've got a, a customer 360 for the first time. So I think you're seeing brands you know, spend on that in reaction to what's happening. And it's a great catalyst for finally going and, and really owning your own first party information and your own first party data, which many brands just have had on the list for a long time, but, but not necessarily gone and done something about. Right. But uh, theoretically, the return on ad spend is there, right? Yeah, yeah Better for 360 sure. Return on ad spend is there, for sure. All right, so uh, let's let's get into an example here. So, can you share an, a, a customer or a example around some of these things that we're talking about here? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the stories I like best because it has a really cool employee angle, which isn't something that often gets talked about. You and I just briefly mentioned it. Brooks running, I'm a runner myself, so I've always appreciated Brooks and their maniacal focus on the runner and staying in, in that one lane and doing it exceptionally well and better than anybody on the planet, in my opinion. Uh, the CMO there, Melanie Allen, has a really, I think, fantastic philosophy around marketing as a CMO. And, and that is that it's her expectation that she is going to engage and is responsible for engaging and driving customer experience no matter the interaction. And by that, I mean, uh, an example would be at Brooks, you know, when someone calls the support team there for help or opens up a, a chat session with someone in support, Melanie feels like as the CMO, it's her responsibility to help make sure that that engagement, although it's completely outside of marketing, is as delightful as possible and is returning on the brand promise to their runners and to their athletes. And so they have their unified view of the customer integrated into every system, every tool, every team that engages a customer. And in this particular example, I think they use Zendesk maybe. And so prior to implementing a 360, you know, the customer service rep at Brooks, when you would call in, would pull up your name, maybe ask you your phone number, uh, ask you for some details, and they would see your past case history, right? The last time that you called in with a problem, or if you had never called, they wouldn't know anything about you. But by integrating the 360 information into Zendesk, the customer service rep is still in the Zendesk UI, but they're now seeing your loyalty status, all your past transactions, behavioral info, next best product, you know, anything that, that revolves around you and your interaction with Brooks. And so we get these awesome quotes from the customer service reps saying things like, I'm closing cases before the customer can fully explain what their problem is. And it is such an empowering 
you know, amazing statement for what is maybe, you know, arguably not the, uh, the, the highest profile job at most companies, right? Answering the help desk phones, mm -hmm. uh, but turning those jobs into really high reward, high delight oriented, mm -hmm. you know, uh, engagement opportunities for the company. And so now when you call the help desk, it's like, hey, Zora, thanks for calling. Like, looks like you, you bought two things and you returned one of them last week. You're probably calling to see where that refund is. It's going to hit your card next Tuesday. It looks like you bought a large and a medium. You returned the medium. Did you have a question about sizing on that item? Can I get you to talk to somebody who, who's an expert in that area? I mean, they're potentially turning what are negatively fueled interactions. Where's mm -hmm. my money? Where's my refund? Into something incredibly delightful and potentially even a sale. And it's like that, that sort of opportunity that Melanie thinks about constantly delighting and engaging and knowing that customer at a granular level and then pushing that out to everyone and every organization, every tool, every platform that they, that they purchase and deploy. And I just love that story. I just think as marketers, you know, us having that broad sort of visibility and philosophy around every engagement, every touch point being an opportunity as opposed to someone else's problem is, uh, is awesome. And Melanie's leading the way. That reminds me, I, I just listened to another podcast and the author's name escapes me, but the book was Black Goldfish, but it wasn't Black Goldfish. It was one of the other goldfish. Anyway, he's talking about, you know, brands never meet customer expectations. They either fall short of customer expectations or they exceed them. So that's, that's a wonderful example and brought that back to me. So Let's switch gears a little bit. Imperity's platform, you're, you're servicing businesses internationally. You personally have a very international background, having worked all over the world. So how does the U.S. market compare to other regions, uh, particularly as it concerns data consumption and identity resolution? And I'm going to venture a guess at what your response might be, but I'll, I'll, let, you, <laughs> I'll let you react to that, to that question. Yeah. Yeah, I will say it's a mixed bag, you know, it's a mixed bag. I will say that, you know, if you if you take the sort of global brands out of the equation for a moment and you just talk about national or local brands, you know, in some ways, international markets have it a little easier uh, in the sense that they serve a smaller market. They have a smaller population of uh, potential buyers. And that's both a blessing and a curse. The blessing is, you know, them a little easier to know them. And the curse is you gotta you gotta figure out how to how to grow your company with with a smaller sort of you know complexion of, of potential customers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you think about mass automation, you know there there may be an opportunity to to do some things internally using everyday tools when your customer base is is able to be managed in you know the size of a spreadsheet as opposed to a uh, an AI you know based uh, cloud data warehouse. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in some ways, those, those national brands have an opportunity in that they can know their customers a little more deeply because there's just fewer of them. On the flip side, I would say, you know, they have, a, they have both an opportunity given what we see with GDPR in Europe in terms of it's a catalyst to go and do something. And they have to finally, you know, whether they were going to or not, they have to start figuring out, you know, access and opt-in rights and make sure that they're serving the right customers and they have permission to do so. That's a great catalyst for companies like yours and mine uh, in terms of finally bubbling our project up to the, to the number one position. And at the same time, it's a, you know, it's a real headache. You didn't have this in your top five things to do. And as a marketer, you're, you're becoming frustrated 
about your ability to create campaigns and activate those campaigns and engage your audience and go find new audiences, and it can be a real hindrance. And so I would say in general, it's a mixed bag. You see you know, companies in Australia, for example, going really fast, early adopters of most technologies. This one is no exception. And so it's a wonderful market to, to, to go and, and work in. Companies uh, that are operating in Japan you know, see opportunity here. Once you, you know, Japan's a wonderful market. As soon as you have one great name, uh, it makes it a little easier to open doors across the market. You can go actually quite fast, even though that first logo might take you a long, long time. And then across Europe, you're seeing, I think, as I mentioned, both these national brands opening up into cross-border opportunities to expand that, that sort of customer population and the potential customer population, but dealing with GDPR, dealing with Brexit, and making it really hard on marketers. And so it, it's a mixed bag, I would say, which isn't a great answer to your question. <laughs> Definitely. It was somewhat expected. I wasn't anticipating the kind of the tightness of the market to really be an influencer of, of where Amparity goes next. So any, any uh, markets that you're looking to penetrate now and in the near future that can fall into that, that category? Great question. Uh, we just opened our offices in London last month and uh, our offices in Melbourne, Australia last month as well. So we've been serving customers in, in both geographies for a while, but finally putting some boots on the ground and starting to expand locally, which will be primarily to serve local brands more organically. So right. we've had a, a really uh, a wonderful run serving big global brands that do business in multiple geographies, multiple regions, but we want to make sure now that we're able to support you know, local, local brands too. And so we're excited about that. Awesome. All right. So look into your crystal ball. What do you see coming in the future? What should brands be thinking about as we wrap 2022? Can you believe we're wrapping 2022 <laughs> and move toward and think toward 2023 and beyond? You know, there's, there's so many steps along the path to getting to whatever the there there is in this space. And so if you're a brand that, you know, still is dealing with really messy customer data and finding it hard to get access to data in, in a time frame that's that's easy, being able to federate that out to the teams that need it, being able to integrate that to the tools that you have, then the crystal ball might just be, you know, solving your unified customer view over the next year or two. And that would be an incredible step forward for a lot of companies. I think for companies that have already solved it, we're seeing our existing customers, you know, lean into some of these things like clean rooms and retail media networks. One of the things that happens once you have this first party data graph of your customers is you can start to think about you know, ways in which that data privilege creates opportunity. And so we've got you know, retailers who are working with their suppliers to create clean rooms where they can start to create retail media opportunities and, and activation opportunities in the face of the cookie going away and the mobile ad ID going away. And so you're finding big box retailers who traditionally, you know, have, have operated in the in the small single digit margin world, you know, moving into these 80 and 90 percent margin retail media businesses, which is fantastic for the supplier because they're, you know, they're these big box retailers are uniquely placed to tell you what is likely to happen with your potential customer and when it's likely to happen. And so it's kind of a win, win, win. Um, think about the customer, the supplier and the retailer. And then we're seeing companies come together who have an affinity in terms of they work with the same kind of customer and, and share, you know, PII redacted data in a clean room tenant such that they can derive insights, they can figure out how they 
you know, drive customers to one another's loyalty programs, how they deliver a more unified experience for that joint customer. Uh, and so that's a direct response to, to the cookie going away and the mobile ad ID going away is, you know, instead of depending on just Google and Facebook, uh, you know, they're going to start to self-medicate here and find, you know, less expensive and potentially more engaging ways to, to interact with potential customers and existing customers. And the beauty of that is it, it's kind of this holy grail of finally closing the loop, being able to uh, engage a customer and then have that return, that return piece of information, which is how did they react? What did they do? And that seems to you know, go missing when we just throw it over the fence uh, and you know, kind of spray and pray and hope for great results. So you know, working with other companies and jointly delivering customer experience, I think is where we'll start to see more, more companies leaning over the next couple of years. But of course, the, the prereq is that you get your customer data fixed up and get it in an accessible, digestible, federatable you know, format so that you can actually go do things with it. I love how you ended that with, I heard creative and strategic partners, uh, like-minded partners, which is how our two organizations uh, came together in the first place several years ago. So wonderful note to end on. I'll ask you one last question. Where can our listeners go to hear more from you and more from Imperity? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate the, the partnership that we had with Infutur and now with Veris. Really excited about uh, everything that Veris is doing on this front. And the easiest place to find me is you know, LinkedIn or on the Imperity website and, and checking out our blogs and lots of thought leadership pieces. And I'm, I'm super easy to find and eager to engage and interact if I can be helpful to anybody. Awesome. Thank you so much. We can't wait to catch up with you in the future to see what new and exciting things and parody is up to. With that, I want to thank all of our listeners and invite you to subscribe uh, so you don't miss upcoming episodes as we continue to dive into trends, data, technology, and of course, marketing. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Marketing Report. This show is brought to you by Verisk Marketing Solutions, an organization created to help CMOs and their partners improve the reach, timing, relevance, and compliance of every consumer engagement. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to The Marketing Report wherever you get your podcasts. And check out the show notes for more information.